Thank you, guys. Thank you, Peter. Um, so good to be back in Arlington. It seems like it's been a while, and so it's always a privilege and a pleasure to be able to share God's Word with you, um, with my Arlington family. And so we're going to be picking up in the book of Acts chapter 17 this morning. I know Randy and I both have been kind of trying to stay on, stay on the same track as we preach through the book of Acts. And so we're going to unpack the first 15 verses of Acts, uh, Acts 17 this morning. And so uh, you guys can go ahead and start finding that in your Bibles if you get a chance. Um, uh, we just came off of our vacation Bible school over in Bartlett. And uh, it was an overwhelming success uh, five straight days of lots of kids, lots of fun, uh, lots of servant leadership as we had so many people partner with us there, uh, and lots of Jesus. And uh, I will say, it is, uh, I'm telling you, we were there every single day and we're pouring into those kids and it's not over these past five days and I've been in a very, very long time. Having said that, guess what, you guys, I think it's July 7th through the 12th, it'll be from 6.30 to 8.30 at night and uh, about partnering during the week of VBS, guys, I'm telling you, uh, you'll be tired. Part It's one of, the, one of the best ministries, again, I mean, I know a lot of people think VBS is old school and outdated. I'm telling you, it's not. Those kids are getting the Word of God. They're understanding what Christ has done from them. They're understanding the gospel. And uh, just for you to show up and love on them and, and be a part of it in any way possible. I mean, you may be passing out snacks. You may be there to help clean up. You may be there to set up, break down, whatever you can do. Uh, that's my VBS plug uh, for the day. So please, guys, consider how you might partner with that. Uh, obviously, Randy is out today. I think he may be on his way back from St. Louis. And uh, I don't know how many of you guys were able, I mean, we may have a few baseball fans in the crowd and maybe a few St. I, I share the affinity for St. Louis Cardinals baseball uh, that Randy shares as well. But yesterday was pretty incredible. Uh, his old home, Bush Stadium, and the Bush Stadium home crowd there in St. Louis. Ever seen that happen in baseball? We're an opposing team player received a curtain call after hitting a home run. It was kind of right? Like cheering for pool hosts. And so uh, it was pretty cool. So I know Randy will be excited. Uh, cool day in baseball. Uh, now we're going to get in to today's message. And so I'm, I'm uh, going to be starting in Acts chapter 17. And the title of my message today is The Living Word for a Dying World. Okay, The Living Word for a Dying World. We're going to kind of compare and contrast a little bit. There's two different communities where Paul and Silas and Timothy, they go in to share the gospel. The first community is the community of Thessalonica, okay, which Paul later wrote his epistles, two epistles back to the church in the church there in Thessalonica, in Thessalonica. And then he goes into another community there in, which is modern day Greece, which is Berea, okay? And how many of you have ever heard someone say, hey, we need to be good Bereans of the word? Anybody ever heard that? Nobody? Good. We're going to get to learn something today. And so we're going to find out from the example that the Bereans set this morning that we're going to be challenged, I think, at least I've been challenged, about how we're to approach uh, the Word of God today. And so if you have your Bibles, here's what I want to do. Let's just pick up. We're going to read um, chapter 17, and I'm just going to pick up and read through the first nine verses, and then we'll jump off right there. It says this in the book of Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis... And Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, so three weeks in a row, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now, 
You'll see that repeatedly in these passages from the Scriptures. It's very key that you understand that. Maybe you want to underline that. He says he's explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, so they're looking for Paul and Silas, and they couldn't find them, it says, so they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down. Underline that if you want to. They have come here on the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city of security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. To hear and receive the word, and you prepare to use me to, to share and preach the word. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, and in power and with full conviction. I pray all these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. I'm going to go ahead and give you your blanks, right? How many of you guys like to fill in the blanks? A couple of you. I'm going to go ahead and give you the blanks off the top, okay? And then we're just going to go and unpack it. All right, the first thing is it's time we go. We go and turn the world, what? Upside down, okay? That's going to be the first thing we see this morning. The second thing is that it's time that we grow and turn the word inside out, all right? We're going to unpack that a little bit here in a minute when we look at the Bereans. So we need to go. We're called to go and turn the world upside down. We're called to grow, and the way we grow in our faith as disciples is that we turn the Word inside out, and we'll talk about what that means to be a good student of the Word here in just a second, and then about, and that's what we're going to see here in these two passages of Scripture. Now, what I, let me just share what I mean by that. Paul and Silas, as they were sent out by the church at Antioch, and we see them, and this is the pattern that you begin to see, as Paul and Silas and Timothy now, they're going to share the gospel, they're even... And then they take those people who are converted to Christ and they spend time with them, don't they? So you have evangelism, you have discipleship, and then a good disciple who understands what it means to be faithful to Christ, guess what? Then they understand their call to go and get on mission for God. And then as they go and they get on mission for God and they proclaim the gospel to other people, other people come to faith in Jesus Christ and then they're called to do what? Make disciples, and then you train those disciples how to go and be on mission for God, and you begin to see what? You begin to see a pattern or a cycle. Now, here's what's happened. I think many times in the, in the church here in North America, I, I will speak about that later, about the church in other parts of the world that's on fire right now for the Lord. Somewhere along the way, I think here in the church in the North America, one of those, or maybe a couple of those, so if you stop, say, making disciples, let's just say you remove that from the equation, Who's being taught what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Who's growing in the faith and cycle is what? It's broken. And then we, we, we become ineffective and the church begins to plateau and become complacent. Guys, I want, to, I want to share something with you, not to be a bearer of bad news, but pretty much every evangelical denomination in the United States of America is either here or what? Or declining. There's a reason for that, and I think it's found right here in the Scripture. And so let's talk what it really means today about, first of all, being called to go and turn the world upside down. Now, think about the testimony of the people in Thessalonica. 
They were the ones who were offended by the gospel, and they were the ones who testified to, to what was happening with the gospel spreading out throughout all of Europe now. They were the ones who pointed out to the rest of the community that these men who are proclaiming another king, this other king who's not Caesar, he says, these men are doing what? They're turning the whole world upside down. Take note of that. It wasn't the church that said they were the ones turning the world upside down. It was actually the enemies or those who were hostile towards the faith. They were the ones who recognized that these men were turning the world upside down. You know, this is one of the greatest proofs and evidences of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because I just want to take you back briefly. What was it like for the disciples on the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, arrested, beaten, tortured, crucified, and dejected, defeated, discouraged, all over. How do you explain that little broken, disbanded uh, grisside, and they go to run and hide to keep themselves alive and to and protect themselves in that, in that case, being the most bold, courageous witnesses to the world? He is risen. And guess what? Every disciple that we know of except him, but he survived miraculously. Every committed disciple, original disciple of Jesus Christ died what kind of death? A martyr's death. Proclaiming this Jesus who was crucified is alive. Why would they be willing to die for something that they didn't believe to be true? You see, the reason that the early church turned the world upside down is because they really believed it. Right? They really believed that Jesus Christ was alive. Now, granted, they had seen Jesus physically with their own eyes, the resurrected Lord. They touched his hands. They saw the prince in his wrist. They ate food with him in his resurrected body. Uh, granted, they saw him and touched him with their own eyes, and that's the testimony of the disciples. But it was because of what they knew to be true and believed. That's what impacted their desire and their motivation to go into the world. And that is what is one of the great evidences of why the world was being turned upside down. Now Jesus was countercultural. He did not keep the status quo, did he, in his lifetime. The early church, like Paul and Silas and Peter and James, they too were countercultural. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, we are called to be countercultural. What that means is if we haven't figured this out yet, guys, Christians have never been and never will be accepted and loved by this world. Are y'all tracking with me? Guys, we're never going to be loved and accepted by this world. How do we know that if the world hated me, surely the world's going to hate you. No servant is greater it's in fulfilling the Great Commission and going out into the world. Guys, we're going to be hitting boundaries and we're going to be put to stop trying to be friends with the world. Now, that doesn't mean we don't, we're not friendly but it means that we got to stop compromising what we believe and what God is calling us to do just simply to fit in or to avoid persecution or to avoid awkward conversations or whatever it may be. This is what it really means to be controversial. We will never be friends with this sin-cursed world. We'll never fully be at home in this world. The Bible calls us to take the narrow path, Right? It's almost like we as Christians are swimming upstream when there is a massive wave and a current flooding downstream and the world is what? It's broad and it's what? It's easy. Guys, it's easy to get, catch the drift of the world as it takes you downstream 
to death and destruction. As Christians, God is calling us to courageously swim against the stream, against the flow, against the current of the world. And that's what we're called to be and that's what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to be difference makers. We're called to be world changers. Um, But when it looks like the church in North America has reached places of compromise, guys, here's the thing that I think we're always going to be challenged with is that we're not to be conformed to this what? To this world. But sometimes I think when we look at the church again in North America specifically, I feel like the world many times has had more influence over them. I think all of us would probably agree with that. And that's why I'm so thankful for churches like Christ, full of Jesus Christ. We continue to not compromise on the controversial issues of our day and as long as stand. Okay? And so be thankful that you're part of a church right now that doesn't The world calls right wrong and wrong right. The world exchanges the truth for a lie. And lovers of self and haters of God is that they would rather see darkness than light and exchange. Mission is to turn the world upside down. Ripped. It's time for us to right wrongs. I like this illustration. We're called to punch holes in the darkness. Every time a believer shares the gospel of Jesus Christ or stands for that which is right and good. It's like we're punching a hole in the darkness. What happens when you punch a hole in the darkness? What begins to shine through? The light begins to come through. This is what we're called to be and what we're called to do. We're called to set captives free by introducing them to Jesus Christ, to heal the brokenhearted, to overcome evil with good, to overcome hate with love, to overcome the the lies with the truth. This is what we are called to do. And we're constantly fighting that temptation and the battle of being in this world, but not of it. There's a big difference, right? We can't get ourselves out of this world necessarily, but we don't, we don't have to be of the world and the system of the world. Now let's talk about that word for just a second. I want to just take a minute here to camp out. That word world. Now when the people in Thessalonica said, hey, these guys, they're the ones turning the world upside down, what do they really mean? Well, there's two main Greek words for the word world that's translated in our Bibles. When you read the word world, it could be one of two primary Greek words. The first word is cosmos, where we get our cosmos or cosmos, where we get that understanding of the universe or the ordered system of the world, the ordered system of Jesus. Satan, he takes him, and what does he show him? He says, hey, just bow down to me, and I'll give you all of this. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. How could Satan give Jesus that which he does not possess? Jesus himself called the devil the prince of this world and institutions and systems of education and political systems and crime and law enforcement and all of those. It doesn't mean that everybody involved in those systems are under the influence of the devil, but it means that he and the principalities and powers that are at work in this world are influencing and have major influence and control over those systems. And Jesus told us that that's the way that it would be. So that's what it really kind of means when you start talking about the cosmos or that word world. It also can mean the people, the inhabitants of the earth. Let me give you an example. For God so loved the world. He's talking about the inhabitants of the earth. There's another word for world that's used right Oikomene, okay? It comes from a Greek word oikos, which means you're, you're having a different connotation. That word refers specifically to the land that is in how so when the men in Thessalonica say, hey, these guys are turning the world upside down. They-
Are you following me? They're saying these guys are, are infringing upon our what? Our territory. You see, the whole Roman world at that time was rooted and established in demonic paganism. You're going to see that next week. I think when Randy comes back, he'll take you to Athens in Acts chapter 17 where they have these idols all over the city and they're worshiping all of these false demonic gods. See, the the root of paganism was that the devil had a stronghold in the Greek world. And as the gospel began to penetrate these different areas, is that people were getting saved, they were walking away from demonic idolatry, and they were following the Lord Jesus Christ. Whole homes were being changed. Whole communities were being changed. Guess what? The devil doesn't like it when people start stepping on his turf. Guys, that's what it means when it means we're here to be called to go and turn the world upside down. It's a territorial battle. That's what it is. We are at war with the spiritual forces of darkness that are at work in this world. We need to begin to understand what that means and how to fight those battles. Let me share this with you. You ready? Listen up. Jesus is the creator of this world. Man was supposed to be the inheritor of this world. Satan is the usurper and the present ruler of this world because we, we, we relinquish that to him, right, in the garden. Jesus left heaven and entered this world to destroy the works of the devil. But then Jesus was rejected by this world. But then Jesus proved his love for the world as he was willing to die for his own enemies and the collective sins of the world. Jesus proved that he has overcome the world through his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is the only Savior of the world. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is yet to come in, in its fullness and in its glory. All who trust in Jesus are delivered from this world or this domain of darkness. All who reject Jesus and seek to gain the whole world will lose their very own soul. All who desire friendship with the world are enemies of God. Did you know what, that's, what, what James says? Whoever desires friendship with the world is at enmity with the Lord. Guys, you can't have it both ways. You can't be a friend of the world and follow Jesus at the same time. We are commanded not to love or to be conformed to the world. We're commanded to be the witnesses, to be His witnesses and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth or to the whole what? And one day the King Jesus will return to establish his kingdom and he will create an entirely new world. Now C.S. Spurgeon said something once and I want to share it with you and I think this applies to you and me. Listen to what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. It's the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the what? To the whole world. Let me say that again. It's the whole job. In other words, that's our primary job of just part of the church, the whole church, to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. That was the mission of the early church. That's why they believed it. They lived it. That's why they were turning the world upside down. And that's our mission today. Don't ever forget that. Number two, it's time that we grow and turn the word inside out. Now, let's pick up in Berea. Look at verse 9. Verse, uh, verse 10, excuse me. So now Paul and Silas, the, the church, gets them out of Thessalonica because their, their lives are in danger. They go down to Berea, which is another city there in modern-day Greece. 
It says they went by night to Berea. They arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue, again, as was their custom. Now, look at what it says about the Bereans. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Pretty interesting. They received the word with all eagerness, so they were eager to hear what they had to say. Look at what it says. Examining the scriptures, don't miss this word, daily. These things were true or so. Many of them therefore believed, but when the Jews of Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul in Berea, they came there too, they start a riot. Sounds pretty familiar with our culture today, right? When there's no... Just start a riot, just start a mob. There's a mob mentality right now in our culture. Couldn't catch them in Thessalonica, now we found out they're in Berea, so hey, let's take some of these same guys of ill reputation. We can't win the argument, we might be able to win a fight. And that was the mentality about what it means to be a good Berean, okay? We're going to focus in on what it means that they received the word with eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to test it to see if what the disciples were saying was true, okay? Now, the first thing I need to say is this. When we're talking about sharing the gospel or talking about the things of God to lost sinners, the Bible says that The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. In other words, to someone who's lost and and, and the natural man cannot receive the things of God is what uh, 1 Corinthians 2 says. So if you're a natural man and you're living in your sin and somebody comes and shares the gospel with you, I'm going to tell you something, guys. It's pretty much like speaking to a brick wall sometimes because they can't receive it. See, the Holy Spirit, there has to be a supernatural awakening of their heart most of the time, all the time, for them to even be able to receive it. And so when we talk about turning the word inside out, the first thing I want to share with you is this, is that as we share the gospel with people who are completely lost and separated from God, rebellious sinners, the first thing that has to happen is that their heart has to be turned inside out. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Now, it doesn't make any sense sometimes to us, and we don't understand who's going to believe and who may not believe and who's going to reject our message and who's going to receive our message. We don't know that. But we go and faithfully proclaim it, knowing that if anybody's ever going to get to the point of being saved, they've got to hear the what? They've got to hear the gospel. Faith comes through hearing. And hearing comes through the word of Christ. So if nobody's hearing the word, then they're not going to have faith. Y'all see what I'm saying? And so part of our responsibility goes back to making sure that we're sharing the gospel with all people, even those who are far away from God, separated from God, who don't want to have anything to do with God because the power of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the only thing that can break the hardest heart, that can soften the heart of man, that can penetrate a sinner's heart and make him alive again. Guys, that's important. But the second thing is this. There are going to be people, maybe like the Bereans, and they're open, willing to sit down with you and have a conversation about things of God or the Bible or things of faith. They, they, but they're at least willing to what? To listen. Guys, those are like that in your lives. My, my advice to you, take advantage of those. To listen to what you have to say. I was listening to Frank Turek, who's an apologist. And he said, I want you to think about one person in your life that's lost. That, that you're burdened for spiritually, that's far away. From God. 
And he let them, you know, have a few moments. And maybe you do that right now. Maybe you're thinking of someone in your life that you just know that you're burdened for them. Maybe it's a family member, a friend, a coworker, whatever it may be. He said, okay, here's, what, here's the question I want to ask you. He says, is that person that you're thinking of right now, are they on a quest for truth? Think about that for a second. He said, or are they antagonistic to the gospel? Are they hostile? Or do they not want to hear anything about the things of God? Now, in, I'm not going to do it here, but in his actual art, he said, now everyone else, if the person you're thinking about is doesn't want to accept the things of God, or they're going to listen and be open-minded enough to hear what you have to say. Guys, if you have a person like that in your life, the Bible is true. Now, here's the point that I want to make. We need to give them as many answers as we possibly can. People have questions. We need to provide answers. It's very important we do that. But you'll, you'll begin to see that there are some people who, as soon as you give them another answer, or maybe you've given them a hundred answers, they're always going to have another what? Another question. And that kind of begins to reveal what's really going on in their heart. They're not really ready to submit their lives to Christ because in their mind, there's never going to be enough proof and enough evidence that the Bible is true, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He's resurrected from the dead, that God is true, that creation is... They're never going to have enough evidence because here's what I'm trying to help you understand. Faith and logic are our friend. We have a reasonable faith. Our faith corresponds with reality. Our faith makes sense. But everybody at some point is going to have to trust in Jesus because without faith, it is impossible to what? To please God. Okay? And so if you're having those conversations with people and they're just constantly hammering you with more questions and more questions and they just do not want to really receive Jesus Christ or put their faith and trust in Him, at some point you're just going to have to say, listen, I'm trying to answer every question that I can have and answer for you. But at some point, it's impossible to please God without faith. And it's impossible for you to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ without faith. Guys, faith does not, is not contrary to logic and reason. It's just that our faith... God would only come down here and show Himself to us and prove that He is God. God became a man. His name is Jesus Christ. The Creator of the universe entered His own creation. He showed at some point they're going to have to believe in the Word and the testimony of the gospel. But discipleship and following Jesus is a lifelong born again. What's that mean? When you're spiritually reborn, are you mature who are still babies in Jesus Christ? They've never what? They've never grown up. How funny would it be for you to go to the pool this summer and you see a bunch of grown men playing in the kiddie pool? That would be bizarre, right? You'd probably call the cops and be like, these guys don't need to be playing around my kids. Because guys, by the time you get old enough, you should be swimming where? In the deep end, right? There's a point in place in time as disciples in Christ, we understand that the goal of our relationship with Jesus is to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And we do that through growing in our faith and maturing in Christ. And we never stop growing this side of heaven. It's the desire that we should have to know the Word of God so that we can come to know the God of the Word. That's what the Bereans were at least willing to do. They had an open mind. They were willing to investigate. They wanted to test what was being said. And guess what they used as their test? They, missed the, they used the Scriptures. 
They didn't use popular opinion. They didn't use their philosophy. They, they, didn't, they, they were looking at the word of God and saying, okay, these men are coming proclaiming that everything that we've known in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in this Jesus. We're going to go check it out. We're going to be at least open-minded and give it a chance and try to hear what they're trying to say so that we can investigate it and examine it for ourselves. So let's talk about that for just a second. The Bereans were willing to examine the Scriptures every single the great lost discipline of fasting. Fasting is a lost discipline day afternoon. That's your only meal for the rest of the week. How long would it take before you're about ready to Tuesday without some kind of sustenance in your body, right? But let's think about never nourishing their spiritual body with the Word of God. Now, if you think about that, if that's you and you're feeling some conviction right now, I want you to think about this. Guys, if we're not reading and studying and praying daily, okay, this is the, the direct result of that. We become spiritually vulnerable. We become spiritually weak. And it's no wonder that many of us sometimes we fail to live life in victory and in power simply because we're not feeding on the living word of God every single day. There are ways for you and me to make time and it should be a priority to feed on the word of God every single day. Another important, did you ever think about that? You know what one of the greatest problems in the American church today, they love what the false teachers have to say, is because they don't know. I'll tell you something, every word that comes out of my mouth, every time Randy Lockley preaches the message at this church, you ought to be testing what is said. I encourage you and I welcome you to challenge and to test. Because if we ever misspeak on behalf of God, that's a tragic thing. And I want to know that we have congregations that are engaged enough and studying their scriptures enough that they can test what is being said. I want to share something with you. Uh, Ligonier Ministry of the great um, R.C. Sproul, who passed away last year, they put out a state of uh, theology survey every year. So they, they interview evangelicals. Now let me, let me remind you what's being said here. They're talking to church people. They're not just calling up any Yahoo on the side of the street who has no foundation, no church background, no idea of Christ. They're talking to people who are in church, people who identify themselves as Christians, people who identify themselves as evangelical Christians. And I want you to listen to some of the things that's being believed here. Okay, let me read a couple of them to you. And if you, if you want to check this out for yourself, just type in the state of theology and it, and it gives you all the survey. I'm not going to go into all of it. All right, let me, let me read a couple here. Listen to this one. Here's the, here's the statement. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Guess what the number of evangelical Christians in America, guess the percentage that agreed with that statement? Almost 75%. Guys, we're not Jehovah's Witnesses that would teach that. We're not the Mormon church that would teach that Jesus is the spirit brother of Satan and that he was a created being by God. We're the evangelical church. We're the, supposed to be the rock-solid, doctrinal, Bible-preaching, Jesus-is-God, Trinity churches in, the, in the, uh, North America, and yet almost 75% of people that took that survey, they agreed with that statement. What does that tell you about the state of theology in the church? Listen to this. i got a couple more. 
Let's see. There were some good ones in here. All right, so we got, let's talk about sin for just a second. It says this. Even the smallest people would respond, even in this audience, but over 60% of evangelical Christians disagree not as sinful as other people and that even the smallest sin probably doesn't deserve eternal damage if we're, we're guilty of breaking what? All of it. And I, I could go on and again, if you want to check it out, you feel free to do that in the state of theology. But I think it just makes my point. We have more access today, right now, I mean, languages, and there are free Bible softwares, and I mean, you can get every version of the Bible, you can get all the context of the historical background of the church, I mean, you can get anything that you want, even on your phone right now, you carry it everywhere that you go, and yet I would say that we are perhaps at one of the greatest places of biblical illiteracy in the, in the, in the church today. Maybe in the dark ages when the Catholic Church controlled everything and they wouldn't even preach in the people's native language. I mean, obviously, they didn't know much back then. But today, what I'm trying to point out is this. We don't have a what? An excuse. We don't have an excuse. We have all the resources at our fingertips, guys. If you're struggling finding a good Bible resource, talk to Randy. Talk to myself. I promise you, I can point you in ten different directions. That, and it, don't call, it doesn't cost you a thing if you want to be a good Berean and go deeper and study the Scriptures. There is no excuse. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who pastors a pretty good-sized church, and he was frustrated with his, with his small group. And he was just saying, you know, we, we talk about the discipline of prayer. We talk about really studying and, and getting in the Word of God daily and making that a commitment and a priority in our, in our lives. And he says, everybody that I talk to in my small group, they have the same excuse they just don't have the what? They don't have the time. They're, they're too busy. And they're trying to raise a family. They're, they're running around with the kids. They all seem to where everybody's drinking coffee. He said, I sat there and heard a large group in my small group. And, and you know what they're talking about? Again. And they were talking about how they can't wait to get home to catch the next episodes and hours binge watching television. He said, and it was at that moment that I realized that it's not a matter of time. It's what it comes down to, guys. You can't tell me that we don't have enough time. Everybody's got the equal amount of time. These Christians jailed for faith, memorized the Bible because the guards can't take what his teen of the 20-some-odd pastors that he meets with had been in jail. They had been imprisoned. And they begin to share testimony about how people were slipping little pieces of paper with the Scriptures written on them and giving it to them in prison because they obviously can't have a whole Bible and they're memorizing the Scripture. And then when the guards find the pieces of paper, of course, they get thrown away. And by the time they've served their sentence in jail, guess what? Some of them have had almost the entire New Testament memorized by what? Why is that? How is it that a bunch of Chinese Christians who have no leadership, no training, no seminaries very little organization in their churches. They're just trying to get by the best that they can. Why is it that they know more? The main reason why I want the Word of God in my heart is that as we're, as my executioner is taking me. It's time that we show this dying world what life is all about. Now, I want you to take the word, word, world. What's the difference? We wrap up and our worship team comes forward. The first is Lord. 
You see, we have to understand what it means for Jesus to be our Lord. What's another word for Lord? What's another word? Master. Somebody say something else? Starts with a B. You go and work for him every single week. He's your boss. How would, how would it be if you went in and told your boss what you're going to do this week? Or if he told you what you needed to do and you said, no thanks. How long would you have your job? You see where I'm getting at? Guys, sometimes we forget Jesus is Lord. If we understand Lordship, we'll go. We'll, we'll be able to motivate you to go share the gospel. At the end of the day, we, you have effectively shown that you love me. Obedience equals love to God. That's how we show love to God. But if we love God, we also are called to love who? And there are people dying all around us every single day in this community, in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, and they are separated from God, and we should be motivated. We should have so much love for them that we wouldn't care what it takes to share our faith with them, guys. Are you motivated by the love of God? We have Lord, we have love, we have light. L represents light. It says, so let your what? Shine. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and turn around and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Guys, if you have Christ in you, you are a walking representation. You're a billboard for Jesus Christ. Or you're supposed to be. I'm supposed to be. We have lordship. We have love. That's our motivation. We have light. And the last one is Life. What would, we, what would we not terminal disease and we had the cure? What if they didn't want to take it? What would you do? What if you had a shot and your loved one is dying and they're on their deathbed and they didn't even know what was good for them anymore and you had that precious life-giving medicine, what would you do? I know what I would do. Guys, we have the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only thing in this world that will save sinners, bring people from death into life, from darkness into life. We have that. It is, it is ours. It has been given to us. And yet, how many times are we letting people pass us by when they just desperately need to hear the good news and the hope and the joy and the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is where I feel like we as a church, guys, we need to start praying really, really hard because, look, this is where I am, and I'll just finish with this. It's not natural for us to go up and be evangelistic. So if there's something in our life that doesn't naturally come to us, what's the first thing we should do? What should we do? If something doesn't come to you naturally and you know that God's commanded you to go be, to, be His witnesses, what should we begin to do? Pray. How many of us are praying? Just saying, God, I don't, I'm not doing a good job of being a witness. I'm, I'm not sharing the gospel with my neighbors. I'm not bringing the love of Jesus Christ. If I'm not where I need to be, would you help me, please? I want to be there. I want to have that desire disciple of Jesus Christ. Guys, some of us just need to start praying. Just start your prayer. Not only will He give you a greater desire and confidence and boldness, but He'll appointment that you can share the gospel with. Do I get it perfect? I don't. Do I still struggle with this? I do. I need you to hear me in that. Do I need to pray that I would have more boldness and a greater desire to share the gospel? I do.
So we're all in this what? We're all in this together. So don't be discouraged. I know it was a heavy message. I want you to be encouraged. Can we do that? I know we got one more song to sing, so I want to pray. And here's what I want to do. Guys, maybe you need to start that prayer right now. Maybe you need to say, God, where I am right now, I want to be a more effective witness. I want to have a greater desire for the loss, okay? Start that prayer right now. I'll be up front if you need somebody to pray with or to talk to. Maybe you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want to know what that means and you want to start that relationship today. Please come see me, okay? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, that, Lord, you would turn our hearts inside out, that we would, that we would be obedient to you as we take the gospel, turning the world upside down. Start with me. And I just pray you would have your way, oh Lord, with us. Because at the end of our lives, there's really nothing else that's going to matter than what we did with Jesus Christ and his gospel. Help us, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.